0: And welcome to the Fantasy Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Taylor, that imaginary voice in the back of your head. Fantasy Magazine is edited by Christy Ant and Arlie Sorg. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. In this episode, listen to Flight by Innocent Chizaremi Lowe. Copyright 2021. Narrated by Janina Edwards. Innocent Chizaremi is Igbo. They are the winner of 2020 Commonwealth Short Story Prize, African Region, and an otherwise award nominee. Their works have appeared in Granta, Fireside Magazine, Strange Horizons, Cast of Wonders, Reckoning Press, Overland Magazine, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, and elsewhere. They currently live in Lagos, but dream of exciting lives in far-flung places. So, get ready to receive. We've got a fantasy for you.
1: Flight. Innocent Chizram Ilo. Tonight, Jeku and Izu are perched on the chapel's fence. They love this fence. It is the only fence in Salamku that is still coated with fresh algae spirogyra lichen, warm under their feet, like a rug. Here, the glint of the full moon on chapel's stained-glass windows crisscrosses their gray feathers, the same way rainbow beams stretch out across the sky in the mornings. The air from this height is cold and dry. It wriggles its way under their skin, sending spasms down their spine. From time to time, the halogen bulb atop the belfry comes on, and then goes off, and then on again. A never-ending cycle. Jeku and Izu have gotten used to it, The bulb does this same thing every time they come here. Jeku and Izu do not know if the belfry has had this same bulb for the six months they have been coming to chapel's fence to warm their feet on the lichen rug, or if the bulb is always replaced with another faulty one. Izu thinks the bulb is this way because it can sense their presence and does not know how to behave, so it jitters when they are around and steadies itself once they leave. He does not tell Jeku this, of course. One, two, three. Jeku swaggers his wings a bit as the bulb flickers on after his count. He nudges Izu, who seems to be lost, staring into the night. Jeku and Izu are hungry. They have been hunting worms and bugs in the city all day, from central refuse dump where they had to fight beak to beak with the egrets who laid territory over the dump along the stinking gutters that washed into river bamboo, behind Madame O.K.'s fish shop, where they were careful not to swallow bits of plastic as they dug into the trash, to the abandoned cemetery, where they scoured rotting bones. Still they could not find any. Chalu, the one with the broken wings, had told them a week ago that it was the trimmers from town planning's bulldozers that drove the worms and bugs away, But everyone knows it was not just Town Planning's bulldozers that drove the earthworms and bugs away. To tell you the truth, the worms and bugs were not driven away. They were killed. All of them. The Debug Salemku Project and those things that men wearing shimmery red aprons spray from fancy aluminum cans killed them, shrunk their bodies, dried them out until they turned to powder. Jeku and Izu, and the rest of the gray parrots know this, that the bugs and earthworms may never come back, but they do not say it out loud. They still rise every morning and fly around the city, hope warming the edges of their wings in search of the worms and bugs. They also know they could not risk snooping around human houses for leftovers. The few who have dared were never seen again. A weed seed is stuck in your feather, Jeku says. Where? At the back of your neck? Help me take it out. Izu can rotate his neck in a complete revolution and pull out the weed seed, but he lets Jeku do it. The feel of Jeku's beak as he pecks out the weed seed is ticklish. He smiles, shuts his eyes, and soaks the tickle all in. Love makes one relish jejun things, doesn't it? Izu remembers the day they first met, almost a year ago, on a sunny afternoon at the old schoolyard. Jeku was burrowing through the roots of the grass under an okwa tree, looking for grubs. He was not the only gray parrot in the schoolyard. Many of them used to visit the old schoolyard before it was refurbished with synthetic carpet grass, and all earthworms and bugs disappeared but it was not difficult for Izu to spot Jeku out. There was a thoroughness about the way he pecked at those roots. Jeku caught Izu's stare, flew over to where he perched, and asked what his name was. Izu had frozen a bit before he found his voice and whispered, Izu. And then Jeku had asked him why he has chosen to stare at him instead of scouting for food, to which Izu replied, with his newly found voice, that staring at him was better than looking for some silly grubs. Do you remember when the trees were still here? Jeku asks, pointing towards the rows and rows of bungalows at Shonibara Estate. Do you sometimes wonder where all the trees went to? How they disappeared, like the worms and bugs? Izu does not answer Jeku's question. What is the need? the answer will not bring back what used to be their home. His mother, Neka used to tell him that before chapel and all the rows and rows of bungalows that looked so much alike, Izu wondered how the occupants could tell their house apart from their neighbors. Shonibara estate used to be filled with trees that almost grazed the clouds. It was home to innumerable birds. But one day, shortly after he hatched out of the egg, They woke up to the sound of chainsaws and bulldozers. Izu's mother said their nest used to be on one of the many branches of a giant oak where Chapel's parsonage now stands. So on nights like this, when someone asks Izu if he remembers the trees, he thinks about his mother and all the stories she told him before she decided to toss caution into the wind and look for food where the humans live. She never came back. Someone must have captured her. But knowing her mother, Izu is certain that Neka would rather kill herself than let anyone lock her up in a fancy cage. Alternate. But knowing his mother, Izu is certain that Neka would rather kill herself than let anyone lock her up in a fancy cage. When chapel's clock strikes midnight, Udoka joins them on the fence. She unfurls her wings and brings out some cherries and a small tin of sweet corn. Udoka is Reverend Green's new pet. The three used to be food hunting mates until Udoka decided that she was tired of sifting through gutter waters and burrowing through sandy roots for food. She had flown over to the parsonage and allowed herself to be captured. As the birds munch on the cherries and sweet corn, Udoka prattles on and on about her silver cage, with a certain kind of newness, that would make one think this is the first time she is talking about it, and not every time she joins Jeku and Izu on the fence, on nights when Reverend Green forgets to lock her cage. Do you know it has two pots? Eh? Uh-huh. One for water and one for poop. Have you ever pooped into a pot before? No, you haven't. And the interior, the good old Reverend designed it himself. There is a mock tree inside, and I can fly around from end to end. Why would anyone want to live in the wild? Why? It's not the wild, Udoka. It is home, Jeku says. Our home. Udoka ignores Jeku and continues. Reverend Green washes my food tray after each meal, and they have this little box filled with bright light and little children who sing all day. There was this evening Reverend Green came back from chapel and... Why are your cheeks pink? Izu asks, hoping it will stop Udoka's rambling about her cage. You noticed? Udoka squeals and wags her rear feather. I knew you'd be the one to notice. Obiana Ju, Reverend Green's daughter, started painting them every morning. On some days it's green, blue, or yellow. But I like the day she paints them pink. Ugh, her brush tingles my... Izu fills his lungs with air and whistles softly into the breeze wondering if it will be rude to tell Udoka that nobody cares about Reverend Green or his bird-cheeks-painting daughter or her stupid cage. Especially her stupid cage! Udoka, maybe you should... A gunshot rattles the stillness of the night. Udoka falls off the fence and lands limp on the concrete at the other side. Silence swoops down on Jeku and Isu. Another gunshot cracks the air... "'jolting the birds back into the present. "'They do not wait for the next gunshot "'before hopping off the fence down to the concrete "'where Udoka is groaning in pain. Ai, ai, ai. "'Udoka stutters in between coughing out spurts of blood. "'Jeku, we must help her. "'We can't leave her like this to die. "'What are we going to do? "'We're just two helpless gray parrots. "'It's not as if we know what to do with a bullet wound.' Jeku slants Udoka's neck to show where the bullet is lodged. Udoka winces. I, I, I. Should we pull out the bullet, Jeku? All her blood will drain out if we do that. How do you know that? I've seen someone shot clean through the chest when they tried to... The remaining words die on Jeku's lips as footsteps and human voices draw close to the fence. Eh, hey, Reverend Green! Was that your rifle firing? A croaky voice asks. Yes. The Reverend's voice is frail, barely piercing through the darkness. Had to shoot at those bastards on the fence before they drop poop and yank at my precious hibiscus. How many of them? Three bloody parrots? Shot one in the head. The other two scurried off. They better tell their friends to be aware of this fence. God's house doesn't want no bird poop or yanked hibiscus littered around. How is that parrot of yours? The damn thing is probably sleeping in its cage. My daughter can't seem to stop fussing over it. Ah, little girls and their silliness. Give it time. Behind the fence, Udoka has stopped writhing. Her breaths are almost silent now. We should go before the brutes jump over the fence and finish us off. No, Jaku, we can't leave her here to die alone, but she is going to die regardless. As if to oblige Jeku and Izu leaving her, Udoka shuts her eyes. Now, now, we must go now. Jaku pulls hard at Izu as the noise on the other side of the fence grows closer. Two. It is exactly six days since the night Jeku and Izu watched Udoka breathe her last on the concrete behind the chapel. A lot has changed for and between the two birds since then, the most prominent being that they have ceased going to chapel's fence to warm their feet on the lichen rug. Izu still has nightmares about that night. He would wake up intermittently during their sleep, gasping and squeaking in low tones and kicking the air, Jeku would try as much as possible to calm him, cooing into his ears and fanning him with his wings. Four days ago, the first time they went out to scout for food after that night, Jeku and Izu stumbled on a rotting cherry along the sidewalk on Fox Street. It was evening, and they were wandering the street, hoping someone left half-eaten or stale bread on the sidewalk. Izu stopped dead in his tracks on seeing the cherry, then he began to cackle, his entire body quaking all over. I never really liked her that much, Izu said, once he was able to quieten himself. Okay, I do love Udoka. She was the only friend I had before I met you. But she started being hard to bear when she became Reverend Green's pet. Ugh! Is it weird that I miss the cherries and sweet corn she brought more than I miss her? Stop looking at me as if I am crazy, Jeku. This whole grief thing is because I saw how I may die one of these days that night. Bye! Just like that. This was when his voice broke and became too throaty for him to continue talking. Jeku unstrung whatever weight hung around his neck from that night and threw his whole self into supporting his lover. He succeeded in talking Izu into staying in their nest, under the staircase, of what was once a tin factory, while he goes out to find food. Well, Izu stuck to this arrangement until this evening, when he flat out refuses to stay at home and declares that he is going outside to catch the whoosh of the evening air, that he has missed that very part of him that made him a bird, the freedom of being outside. Are you saying I cannot protect myself outside, Bojeku? Izu's eyes narrow at Jeku, is standing in his way. His tail feather stretches upwards, tall. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's too soon for you to leave the nest by yourself. Why? That night rattled your core, Izu. You still have dreams about it? Didn't it shake you as well, Jeku? Were you not with me that night? Didn't you see all of it happen? But you still leave every morning to find food. Jeku does not respond. You think I'm too frail to go outside. Look here. I just turned two when my mother left and never returned. I ran this street, slugged it out with the egrets at Central Dump, tussled beak to beak with parrots older than me. I don't need you to protect me, Jeku. Stay safe, Izu. It's wild out there. I'll try. But Izu is not going outside to catch the whoosh of the evening air. He is well aware of this as he glides through Falk Street and takes the narrow bend into Samosa Avenue until he hits Bodway. Alternate. He is well aware of this as he glides through Falk Street and takes the narrow bend into Samosa Avenue until he hits Way, The wide stretch of cobblestones that leads to Shonibara Estate. The street lights lining the estate are on. Izu only stops flying when he gets to chapel's fence. He swoops down on the concrete behind the fence. Sniff, sniff. The air is clear, with no trace of Day's old carcass. Where is it? Izu was sure this was where they had left her six nights ago, buried under a pile of rotting leaves. Hmm. Look who we have here. Izu. What are you doing here without your Jeku on this dark, weary night? A voice behind Izu asks. Izu knows the voice and would recognize it even if he is dead asleep. Ndidi, will you ever get tired of hiding in the shadows and trying to scare me? It's very easy to scare you, Izu. I don't even need to hide in the shadows. I've been scaring you since we were fledglings. The voice emerges into the light cast by one of the streetlights in the form of a vulture with a pinkish-white head and thick feathers ruffled into a hood around her neck. My, you've grown bigger since the last time I saw you, Izu says to the bird, who is one and a half times his height. Can't say the same for you, Izu. Your feathers are so wobbly around your frame. oversized. Ndidi Gafals, a parrot sure has seen better days. Ndidi and Izu have an interesting history. They grew up together, three nests apart. Uzeyelu, Ndidi's mother, and her daughter had migrated to Salamku from Achina, a town that grazed the mouth of the Great Orange River. Their colony was burnt by men who hunted them as part of the rights to be initiated into manhood, no other bird colony in Selemku wanted to take in the vulture and her daughter. Who would? You know how vultures carry their ill luck everywhere they go now. Izu's mother had knocked on every nest and employed every gray parrot to let Uzeyelu and her daughter stay in their colony. Uzeyelu and Neka became bosom friends and, by extension, wanted their children to be best friends. But Indidi and Izu were like palm oil and water. They could never mix. Always fighting over cherries, walnuts, and twigs. They were kids. They will grow out of this behavior, their mothers had thought. Still, the rivalry deepened. When Neka left and never came back, Indidi had taunted Izu that all birds who swore they saw Neka snooping around human houses were lying, and that it was Uzeelu who lured Nekka out of the colony and killed her, that she and her mother had Nekka’s carcass for dinner, that Nekka’s bones were too soft, too tender for a mother parrot, that Uzeyelu was also planning to kill Izu sometime soon. Izu did not believe Ndidi at first until she dared him to come to their nest where she showed him a bunch of feathers that looked just like Nekka's, tied together with a string. It took the whole colony gathering and the birds that saw neka fly into a human's house to reassure izu that it was not her mother's best friend who killed her. Alternate. It took the whole colony gathering and the birds that saw neka fly into a human's house to reassure izu that it was not his mother's best friend who killed her. Long time no see indeedy. The vulture scoffs. Indeed. She swaggers towards Izu. What brings you here again, Izu, son of Neka? Didn't Reverend Green scare you good the last time? What? Oh, I know everything. Indeed, he glares at Izu, her pupils reddening. Behind this fence is a perfect spot because I know that every night the old reverend or one of his neighbors will shoot one bird off the fence and dinner will be served. I thought you don't eat carcass? Give me a break, Izu. That was when my mother, Annie, bless her soul, was still alive. That woman forced me to join you silly birds in eating cherries, corn, and leftover bread. A vulture eats flesh. Our talons and beaks are designed for that purpose. Can't believe my mother tried to take that away from me. Uzeyeelu really did her best to set you right. It's biology, Izu. You cannot set it right. Indeed he pauses. This whole talk is draining all the air. Let's talk about something bright and shiny. Your friend has really tough flesh and rocky bones. What were they feeding her in that parsonage? What friend? Izu pauses until realization dawns on him. You ate Udoka? When you say it like that, it'd seem like I killed her and then ate her. She was dead, Izu. What are you going to do with the carcass? Weep and weep on it until she comes back to life? Okay, she was not dead dead, but I waited patiently for her to breathe her last before tearing her up. Despite all the nasty things folks like you believe about vultures, we're not murderers. Did you eat her to spite me? Um, yes. But also mostly because I was hungry. I saved some of her carcass if you'd like some. Good night, Ndidi. Good night, Isu. Just know that if you or Jeku Ever get shot? I'm not letting those filthy humans touch you lovebirds. I'll find you a worthy resting place. Right here. In my belly. Three. Chalu, the one with broken wings, is leading the dirge. Her voice, haunting and clear, rises and falls with every new line. The dirge is always the same. Swinging, swifting wind, carry me home. Far away from here where I no longer belong, into the land of our mothers. Oh, swinging, swifting wind, carry me home. And no matter how many times Chalu sang this dirge at a parrot's funeral, it never fails to leave everybody in tears. They are gathered around the dying stump of an Udala tree, behind the abandoned tin factory. A tiny grave has been dug, and Ifeniwa's carcass, wrapped with browning plantain leaves, is laid beside it. Ifeniwa was the oldest bird in the colony. She was born long before any of the other bird's mothers hatched into this world. She died yesterday. Old Bird was drinking water from the pond in front of the tin factory and choked on the bits of plastic that seeped into her gulps. Chalu pauses her singing for Dike, the self-proclaimed clergy of the colony, to pray and direct the pallbearers on how to lower Ifeniwa's carcass into the grave. The dirge peaks again. Chalu's body is quivering as she belts higher and higher until all the birds gathered fear she will run out of air. And then, with a rehearsed automation, she stops. Jeku is squatting at the back, head lowered, so his beak is almost kissing the ground. He has known Ifeniwa all his life. Akugo, his mother, used to leave him at Ifeniwa's nest when she went out scouting for food. After Akugo's legs got caught in a barbed wire trap and she bled to death, Afeniwa had taken Jeku in as her own, fended for him, clothed him taught him how to fly. Her death broke Jeku. It was like losing a mother for the second time. Izu is standing beside him, his right wing forming a halo around both of them. Won't you go and partake in the dust-to-dust, Jeku? Izu asks, nudging his lover. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I want to see Efeniwa in this state. I want to always remember her alive. Jeku, this is the least you can do so her soul can journey beyond. See, let me help you. He pulls Jeku up with his wings. We'll go together. It will be easier this way. The two birds squeeze their way through the crowd until they get to the front. Jeku lets out a squeak as one of the pallbearers hands him a flattened stick. Izu steadies him and coos softly into his ears as he scoops some red earth and pours it into the grave. When the grave is filled up, Dike tells all the birds to close their eyes and dwell on the many beautiful memories Ifenewa's life brought to them, especially the ones they shared with her. He signals Chalu to begin another song. Clouds and clouds above, where my everlasting home crests, Wait for me as I journey this troubled place, as I behold my joy at last, clouds and clouds above. Chalu's singing is cut short by shrill hoots in the sky. The birds look up to see Eku swooping down towards them. Cover your eyes! It's the barn owl! The birds squeal as they scamper around the tree stump. Oh, simmer down, pretty birds! "'Nobody is going to mix stones in your corn grains because you saw an owl in broad daylight,' Egu says, as he perches on the old tree stump. He flicks off a splinter with one of his talons and ruffles his feathers to shake off dust. "'What are you doing here? Begone, you creature of the night!' D.K. stutters from where he is hiding, behind Jeku and Izu. "'I am only here to bring you not-so-good tidings. And it shall come to pass,' They will come with fire and snare, and they will smoke you out of the sleazy hiding place you call home. There will be no escape. None. Do whatever you want to with this. Egu shoots into the sky, howling as his wings flap against the wind. At this point, the birds needed no other indication that the burial is over. They retreat to their nests, heads bowed in silence. We have to leave, Izu says to Jeku immediately when they get home. You're not suggesting we leave Selimku because of what that bird who feeds on fear said. This is our home, Izu. A home that wants to kill us. A lump forms in Izu's throat. He has been nursing this idea of leaving Selimku since that night he met Indidi. He wanted Jeku and him to flee far away to a place where Indidi will not find their carcasses and gloat as she tears into their flesh. Egu's prophecy just intensified that need to leave. We'll be fine, Izu. We'll be fine. We will go through this together. And what if the place we run to is worse than Salemku? No place can be worse than here. Four. The night before the morning they came for the gray parrots who lived in the abandoned tin factory, Jeku and Izu found worms under a rock behind the building. They munched on them throughout the night and saved the rest in an empty water bottle for the next day. Afterwards, they stayed up late, tracing the stars with their eyes, dreaming that maybe the worms under the rock was a sign that things will get better. But the dreams died in their throats by morning, when they were woken up by the scuffle in the tin factory, trap doors snapping closed, clap traps whooshing in the air, birds writhing inside mist nets, and the air heavy with smoke. Right now, Jeku and Izu are crouched in the farthest part back, underneath the staircase. They are looking into each other's eyes as if to say, "Don't let out as much as a breath." A hand slips under the staircase and grabs hold of Jeku's legs. He struggles to slip his legs free, but the grip is too firm. Jeku continues to shake, to jerk, to scratch, until something cracks inside his legs, and they cannot move anymore. The hand pulls him out from the staircase. Hey, this one's leg snapped. Now who would want that as a pet? We'll leave him here. Izu shuts his eyes as the voices beside the staircase continue to deliberate on what to do with Jeku. He knows that any time from now, a hand will slip under the staircase and grab his legs. He knows he will fight and break all the bones in his body before he lets them take him. But no hand slips under the staircase. The men toss Jeku on the ground and leave. The tin factory is a mess of blood and feathers when Izu crawls out from under the staircase. All the birds are gone. A few of them lay on the floor, dead, dying, and half alive. The fire has licked up more than half of the tin factory and is spreading fast. Izu rushes to where Jeku is lying in a pool of his own blood. Jeku! Jeku! Can you hear me? You must go now. You must leave Salemku. Promise you'll do this for me. Jeku manages to whimper. But I can't leave you here. You have to. We both can't make it out of here. My legs are gone, and I can feel death's hands on my throat. You can't die here, Jeku. Why? Because Indidi will eat your carcass and gloat about it until she dies. Who cares, Izu? I'll be dead and won't know what is happening. The fire will reduce my carcass to ashes before Indeedi can get here. Stop worrying about me and save yourself. I can't. I don't know how to save myself anymore, Jeku. You must learn. Do it for me. The men are heading back to the tin factory. Izu can hear their shouting. Now, Izu, you must go now. Izu sneaks out through the back door. He follows the alley, the washed-out tunnels, and the empty gutters, until he gets to the outskirts of Salemku. There, he spreads his wings and flutters upward until he catches the whoosh of the morning air and he soars into the blurry sky.
0: Welcome back. You've been listening to Janina Edwards Narrating Flight by Innocent Chizaren Ilo. We hope you enjoyed this offering, and if so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating it iTunes or on the social media venue of your joys. Our editors are Christy Yant and Orly Sorg. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Adamant Press. We publish Fantasy Magazine in this podcast for free. But please, do consider our many subscription options or recurring patronage at fantasy-magazine.com support subscribe. This month's issue is sponsored by John Joseph Adams Books. Featured title, The Unfinished Land by Greg Bear. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the audio stories for this podcast. They're headed by the audio and Grammy Award-winning narrator Stefan Radnicki, and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skybomedia.com. Post production was by Jim Freund, and our music was composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. I'm Terrence Taylor, and goodbye for now from all of us at Fantasy Magazine.